0: Welcome to Novak Now here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jake Jake N Y, and, of course, on Facebook at Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. Uh, obviously, have to start um, by saying, listen, welcome back from the Pesach holiday for those of you who uh, weren't listening to the radio for a while and uh, for all of us who are really focusing now on... The major story since then, there's obviously been a lot of things that have happened since I've spoken to you last year on Novak Now, but let's go sadly with the most current stuff first, and that, of course, is the synagogue shooting at the Chabad in uh, the San Diego suburb. And a couple of points I want to make, I'm sure those of you who who heard this program after the Pittsburgh shootings and uh, this program, when I look back at the Charlottesville march, Understand that uh, I'm going to go into my usual message, which is that once again we see synagogues that just don't have adequate security. Now, this synagogue had some kind of code lock for the door, and that's nice, but every synagogue, every house of worship, because houses of worship are being targeted, and I'm going to talk about why in a second. There is a specific reason why this is happening now. But Houses of worship, churches and synagogues, and, and and I guess to some degree as well, mosques, need to have people outside the darn building. It can be one person, preferably two. I prefer one of them to be armed, but that isn't 100% necessary. Early warning is such an important part of a security system that you have, or security protocols that you have in place at a house of worship or a school or something like that. It's so important. When you think about what your best tools are to protect yourself in a shooting incident, stabbing incident, something's horrible, these horrible events. And and yes, uh, for those of you who are sad and just that we have to talk about this, I understand that, but that's like being sad and having to talk about bad things in the world that have always been there. Doesn't should make you feel better, but understand that just because these shootings are happening now and there's a little bit more of it now, it, it doesn't mean that this hatred wasn't always there. And it doesn't mean it won't always be there until, you know, until we reach this time of the, of the, of the perfect moment for, the, for observant Jews. Of course, this would be the time of the Mashiach, the Messiah. We're going to have evil in the world. So we can bemoan it, and that's fine to bemoan it, but you can't just bemoan it. You have to do something about it. So, again, you have to have people outside the synagogue. And the most important tool that you have to protect, yourso- protect yourself in these kinds of events are your two feet. Are your two feet. I have a very dear friend uh, in los angeles um orthodox jew who is a, a a very avowed second amendment supporter as i am and as much as he and i support gun rights and and the, and the right of people to own a firearm uh he was at a gun shop in los angeles it tells a wonderful story he happens to be a great writer and he tells a wonderful story about how he was in a gun shop and he saw a very nervous looking young woman in the gun shop looking around finally got some help from an attendant who told, who asked her what she was looking for. And she basically went into the story about how she had an ex-boyfriend who was stalking her, was threatening to be violent. Sadly, this is also a common story in America, and not just now, has been probably for all time. And she was talking about how she needed to get a gun. And here's a guy who sells guns for a living. Not my friend, this, you know, he happened to be in the shop at the time. Here's a guy who sells the attendant. This is someone who sells guns for a living. He's a part owner of this gun store. So he has every motivation in the world to sell this woman a gun. Sell her two, sell her three. But what does he do instead? He looked down at her feet and he said, Ma'am, before you buy a gun, before you start thinking about defending yourself in that way, I want you to look at what you're wearing on your feet. And the woman looked down and everyone looked down and she was wearing a pair of flip flops. He said, If you have someone stalking you, you can't be walking around the city with flip flops anymore. I'm sorry. You need to get a good pair of running shoes and wear them all the time. And if you're going to go out in the evening when you need to wear nicer shoes, then you can't go out alone. Be with someone who can whisk you away and be ready to flip those shoes off and run like mad. Because those are your best tools to protect yourself. Run. There's a man named Greg Schaefer who's a former FBI agent who I've booked on a number of my programs over the years in television news. Sadly, every time there's a mass shooting, he is an important guy to talk to. And he'll tell you that these people who give you the advice to shelter in place are all wrong. He tells me that the top snipers in the FBI, the top sharpshooters in the FBI, have about a 3% hit rate on moving, rapidly moving targets as far as human beings are concerned. It's very hard to hit someone moving around and running, even if they're running at a steady pace. So imagine you have one of these crazed people who isn't an FBI sharpshooter. The chances of you getting hit if you're running are very low. So run, run. And if you're a synagogue or a church, you've got to have the two people out front. One of them's got to go call the cops and see what they can do about stopping the shooter and, or, or the, the assailant. And the other one's got to run into the synagogue and say, everybody out the other way. Get out, run. Don't hide under a seat. Don't go into a closet. Run and get out, and make sure you have back doors and other exits to get out of your synagogue and church. These are more. This is more important than having an armed person. And I am a huge supporter of the Second Amendment. I would prefer a guard who has a gun. I'd have. I, I prefer all those things. But before you can have the guns and before you can have the military's type defenses, you got to have a little seichel, you know, a little head on your shoulders, and you got to move and you got to be ready to get out. You got to have. Good, a good ability to get out. And for older people who tend to be in churches and synagogues, make sure there's somebody who can get them out. If you've got to pick them up and carry them, then so be it. If you've got to put them in a wheelchair and roll them out, so be it. And that's the way it has to be. That is more important than, you know, having a gun as defense, which, again, for me is a very high priority. But the point is, is that, that that's very important. And here we are again... In 2019, 71 years now, in a couple of weeks, from the anniversary of the State of Israel, which his entire existence has been based on and built on the shoulders of self-defense, self-reliance, stop crying and worrying about what presidents and other people say about us. We defend ourselves and take care of ourselves. There's no excuse for the American Jewish community or any diaspora community to be this behind the times when it comes to defense. Every synagogue should have some kind of a drill that they go through. The rabbis should get there and talk about it. And again, I'll talk about why this is happening now more often, but this is not new. I mean, I'm not even talking about ancient times or medieval times when Jews were under attack all the time. I'm not, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about American history. You know, there, there have been shootings in synagogues at times when we all thought you know there wasn't a lot of crime in this country or people didn't attack synagogues. There's a very famous story of a rabbi in Detroit who was counseling, a, 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 I believe it was a member of his congregation, or someone who was Jewish, but wasn't a member of the congregation, and they were d- mentally disturbed, and he came into shul on a Saturday with a gun, and the rabbi, and there was a bar mitzvah boy on the bimah, and the rabbi pushed him under the shtender, or whatever you want to call it, the lectern, and took the bullet for the child and died. And this was the 1940s. So, I mean, the point is, is that there, houses of worship have always been a, a target because they are an emotional touchstone for people. A shul, a church, they are emotional touchstones for a lot of people. This goes beyond, like, for example, Islamic attacks on churches because they're, they don't like Christianity, or, or people who are attacking mosques because they don't like Islam. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about emotional touchstones, a synagogue, a church, houses of worship, people who have issues are going to be very affected by a synagogue, which is why. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, if, if anyone here is, listen. I'm sure there are a lot of people right now listening who are longtime shul goers or longtime church goers. Come on, folks. There's always some couple of crazy people in the shul and the church every, you know, Saturday or Sunday. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> every shul has their crazy person. Sometimes more than one. Every church has their crazy person. It's just a thing. There's an emotional touch tone about it. It triggers people in certain ways. And most of the time, it's extremely peaceful. They just want to be somewhere where someone might listen to them. It's a community kind of thing. It's usually quite benign. But you should know that it's a, it's a bit of a touchstone for people. You know, when you had the... Another thing that's happened since uh, w- since we last spoke here on Novak Now on the Malcolm Siegel Network is you've had, of course, that fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in France. And, you know, based on where the fire started and how it... Played out. I'm sorry to say, I, I, it really looked like it was an accident, and I say that with full experience and the knowledge of what happened. at, for example, KJ in Manhattan, Kilet Jeshrin, the the Orthodox synagogue, modern Orthodox synagogue on the Upper East Side, uh, most known for its connection to the Luxteins and Ramaz, but it's a it's you know a longstanding modern Orthodox leading modern Orthodox synagogue, certainly in Manhattan, and they've had they've had serious fires there twice because of construction worker. Carelessness and Central Synagogue, the big reform synagogue in Midtown, also had a serious fire in 1998. Construction worker carelessness, people leaving blowtorches on. Now, why does that seem to happen very often at synagogues and churches and things like that? And that there's a very, very simple answer. Because unlike someone who's doing a renovation on a home where people are living in the home, like they might be, you know, you might be having a renovation in your house and you're living in the basement for a few weeks. Those of you who have had your kitchen or bathrooms redone, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, you're cramped, you're not in on top of the workmen all the time, but at the end of the day when they leave, you're still living in that house and you're checking up on it. And at a synagogue, even a big one, you know, the workers leave, it's the end of the day, and no one's there until the next morning, if you're lucky, if it's the next morning. Because no one's actually living there. So there's not as much checking up on people. And uh, that is one of the reasons why this, these things tend to happen in synagogues and churches uh, more often. But when the Notre Dame fire happened, as you might remember, if you, again, just from, this is already a few weeks ago in the news, you might have remembered somebody walked into St. Patrick's Cathedral here in New York City with gas cans and ign- igniters, and he had some kind of very, very flimsy excuse for why he was doing it. And uh, I don't know where his case is right now. It's going through the system. I know that. I know he hasn't been formally charged or anything else like that. But... You know, I felt when I saw that story, first of all, the first thing you think is, you know, copycat, someone who thought that maybe the Notre Dame Church had been torched, or maybe felt like it should have been. And he wanted to do that here in New York, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And my wife said something very, very smart, which I immediately agreed with. And she said, you know, I bet that guy was someone who was abused by one of the priests in the Catholic Church, or someone who feels very triggered by that. Maybe he personally wasn't abused. And I I think she's exactly right. And I think that, again, so churches and synagogues have a a real emotional trigger for people. If somebody feels that they've been wronged, you know, as a Jew by their fellow Jews, you know, they might feel that going to synagogue is a place where they get triggered. And uh, same thing about uh, a church. So these things happen. Uh, And so why do I think this is happening more often now, things like these shooting incidents? And this is something, this is an idea that I've said before, Here on Novak Now, I've written about it, and I hope a lot of you will listen to this and think about it, and if you disagree or agree, that's fine, but I'd like for all of you to at least consider this, because this is, I think, one of the reasons why things have gotten so much nastier in this country right now. We have a lot of people in this country, and these people are predominantly on the left, but I do believe there are people on the right who are also suffering from this, who have absolutely no religion in their lives. And I know that religion has had plenty of negative connotations in the world for a lot of people. A lot of people hear religion and they think that's the cause of all the problems in the world. And there have definitely been some problems where people, people have used religion for negative, for negative results. But first off, let's remember that the societies that have been very much based on secularism, on getting rid of religion, including the Nazis, who were very in- intent on erasing a, a big part of what Christianity is and replacing it with the, with the worship of a human being, so they were getting rid of, of, of real devout Christianity, even though they weren't targeting them that. However, I mean, if anyone was really paying attention, had the Nazis, thank goodness, they, they did not succeed at this, but had the Nazis succeeded at wiping out the Jews and the gypsies and the other people they were trying to wipe out, devout Christians and Catholics certainly would have been on the list eventually. Not to say that they're victims in any way, and not to say that the Catholic Church's preaching of anti-Semitism in the churches, especially in the Middle Ages, did not feed into a culture that helped Nazism. All those things are true. My point is, Nazism is not Christianity. Even though they may have taken some of the themes that were used in some of the Christian churches, it's not Christianity. Communism and Soviet communism, certainly not religious. North Korea and China. What's the death count on Nazism and communism when we count in Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, communist North Korea, communist China, and let's forget about all the other communist and non-religious countries out there. I mean, what, what are we saying, 100, 200, 300 million people dead? just in the last 100 years or so so please let's not pretend that the secularist <laughs> secularist movements and secularist governments aren't actually more murderous they have a much higher per capita per year death toll than even radical islam and certainly christianity or judaism so let's let's first keep that in mind but the fact is we have more and more people who don't have a religion and one of the big but but you you also again you'll probably know you've heard this from me and you've seen me write this this is a big Jake Novak saying, and I really strongly believe this. There is no such thing as a non-religious person. It doesn't exist. Nobody out there in the world doesn't have something they have a religious type reaction to or devotion to. I would define that as people who have a strong belief in following to something that cannot be scientifically proven. Now, a lot of the things we believe in as Jews over the years have had a lot of scientific markers and proofs to them over, over time but not at their origin. So for those of us who believe, for example, in the sanctity and the importance the kahuna had, the priestly uh, families in the Kohanim, in, in Judaism, we've learned now that most people who consider themselves a Kohen, based on their family traditions, have a particular genetic marker. So clearly there is some scientific proof there of at least there was this, this set-aside group and the things that we read about them doing, both in the Torah and the Talmud and the Mishnah, there's, there's got to be some truth to that. But at the time, we didn't have DNA markers to prove it. In other words, sometimes science comes around and starts to prove some of the things that we believe in religiously. Sometimes it disproves it. I'll give you an example. According to the rabbis in the Talmud, honey is kosher because the bee, which is not kosher to eat, doesn't really put any of itself into the making of the, of the honey. And, and scientifically, we know that's wrong now. And even the most orthodox rabbi doesn't say now, oh, honey isn't kosher. So it's one of those things that, like, science doesn't always prove the, the, the reasoning of, of the rabbis and the reasoning of our, of our religion. But that's because that's what makes it a religion. We don't have scientific proofs for these kinds of things. And that's okay. But what gets me scared is when people have replacements for the accepted traditional religions of the world, and they start following those things without any scientific basis without any real logical basis to them. And politics is one of the biggest substitutes for traditional religion among human beings. And since all human beings are really religious, there's no such thing as a non-religious person. You have a lot of people running around all over the world, but now in this country, especially because the number of people who are consider themselves members of the established Christianity or Judaism is so, so much smaller than it was even 25 years ago. I mean, we're really seeing a rapid decline in people who are affiliated with synagogues and churches right now. And for a lot of those people, politics is the substitute. Is that, is that thing out there that, that's in our human de- that, that, that works with that part of our human DNA that wants to have a religious devotion to something? For so many people, it is politics. And whether they're people who believe in and support my side of the issues or somebody else's side of those issues, i got to tell you, I very, very much pity those people. I feel very sorry for them. Because at the end of the day... Politics is just not the most important belief system for me. And it never will be. It never will be. And the place where religion and politics intersects for me is in my political theory, not in who, I'm, who I vote for. In other words, I don't say, oh, the, the Torah tells me I've got to vote for Donald Trump. No, anybody who says that, and you can fill in the blank with whoever's name you want to put in there, is really off their rocker. But if you want to say, Jewish ethics that I learned in the Talmud really lead me to believe that we shouldn't have slavery, really, really lead me to believe that we should not um, abuse women, really, really lead me to believe that there's a very strong point here in more economic freedom. All those things are fine to say, but unlike most people who say them, then you've got to come up with some citations, ladies and gentlemen. I can't tell you how many times, and this is something, again, I see mostly from the reform movement, but I I see it a lot from traditional rabbis also, where they'll say, the Torah teaches us, or Hazal teaches us, and then they never ever actually give me the citation. Gotta give me the citation. We are the people of the book. We are the people of many books. And now you got computers and everything else, and you can go on Safaria, great website by the way, and find the actual notations and citations. You gotta do that. You cannot make statements about politics or Issues or current events, and say, Well, the Torah, Jewish ethics say, No, any idiot can say that. You can't just say that. You've got to give me a citation. And it's extremely frustrating to me when any person is giving any kind of a, a you know, Devar Torah or, or, or a speech, you know, Jewish speech or a speech about Jewish learning, and they don't have citations. I mean, even if it isn't about a political theory or a major umbrella statement like, Well, you know, you got to do this, I, I, I've got to have a citation. You've got to give me some. And Understanding that you, that you may be leaving out some, citation, some some parts of the Talmud or the Mishnah or even the, the Torah that disagree with you, okay, but at least you've given me some citation which, which stands out and, and, and needs to be examined, and that way we can talk about it. That way I know that you haven't made up your decision about a current event and decided to just say Judaism says I'm right without even bothering to look, which I think is what most people who say stuff like that are doing, and it's very frustrating to me, but okay. But right now you're having more and more people who have no religion. And so they take up a religious... Fer- so every, you know, a certain number of them are going to take up their political issues and beliefs with a religious fervor. With a religious fervor. So this happens to a lot of people. This happens to a lot of people. They have a religious fervor for something... And I think that there's a certain percentage of humanity that is more than just religious, because I don't believe anyone is a non-religious person. Everyone is religious in one way or the other. I think that there's a percentage of people in the world, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's a little less, who are very susceptible to be extremely, extremely religious, call them fundamental. People who will absolutely try to live their life in a certain way that is so religiously rigorous, and they cannot have any live and let live type of attitude. And there's a certain percentage of people who are that way. And we've seen it on the left. Now, the American news media has worked very hard to suppress and to keep quiet the acts of secularist religious fervor that have led to violence in this country. But it's happening all the time. The shooting of Steve Scalise and the attempted shootings of the other people in that Republican congressional baseball game practice a couple of years ago, was by a religious secularist, a a former Bernie Sanders volunteer. And I'm not blaming this on Bernie Sanders, I'm just saying who this person was. not blaming this on Bernie Sanders. But here was someone who was a leftist, a secularist, who took a fundamentalist outlook to his religion substitute, which was his politics, and he went and shot people. Just like any crusader, or Nazi, or crazed islamist would do. And we've had people who shot up the family Re- family research council based on a southern poverty uh, law center which is you know has has many many scandals involved with them uh based on some of their postings about how terrible they were. And we only seem to hear about the radical right folks but there's been a lot of and you have antifa and other groups like that you have plenty of radical religious fervor induced leftists who are also committing acts of violence. And again, I believe that this is very much fed into that. These are people who maybe 40, 50, 60 years ago would have gotten very involved maybe in a very right-wing section of the Catholic Church or a very, very right-wing evangelical group. And maybe some of them would have committed an act of violence. I, I don't know. But I think that these are kinds of people who are desperately looking for something to follow Desperately looking for rules, def- de- and and most importantly, they're looking for some ironclad right and wrong that they can fight about. Some people really want to fight, and as we learned, for example, with the Sri Lanka bombings on Easter Sunday in you know in Sri Lanka, it's got nothing to do with economics. Two of the big masterminds and two of these, including the bombers, were very wealthy. They were like from one of the wealthiest families in Sri Lanka. These are people who are missing something other than money. It's not about poverty. It's about poverty in a different way. Poverty of spirit, poverty of soul, poverty of purpose. They're missing out on all these things. So we are in a tinderbox now with these kinds of things. These, these houses of worship are being targeted because, again, as I said before, they're an emo- they've always been an emotional touchstone for many, many years. And if you just want to look at modern American history, I, I would point to events as way back as the 1940s, including the event in Detroit that I was talking about. But more so now, they're being targeted because you have people who have a religious-like devotion to politics, to a political-type manifesto or a political-type belief, and they believe they need to act on it like they did in the ancient times. For those of you who who are students of ancient history, you know that when the ancient city states used to go to war against each other, it wasn't just city state A versus city state B, it was the god of city state A versus the god of city-state, be in the minds of the people fighting that war. It was a religious thing. And they made wars religious that way, in their minds. And that's what's going on with people who are attacking them, because these people have taken on a religion in their far-right or far-left political beliefs, and so they believe now anyone who is actively worshiping something other than their god needs to be killed. And that is a real important way to understand what's going on right now. We have a rise of new religions, new far-right, new far-left, but they're all violent, and they should all be denounced, no matter who is doing the attacking, whether it's Islamists, whether it's Christians, whether it's Jews, it doesn't matter. In most cases, though, these are radically, radical, fervent, fundamentalist followers of a new religion, which is usually politics, some kind of crazy offshoot politics. And so they attack. They attack anybody who is actively worshipping Somebody else. Whether it's God, whether it's, it doesn't matter. Whether it's Jews, whether it's Christians, it doesn't matter. And that is why we've all got to be careful (laughs) about how we're dealing with the country right now. The country's changed. We have a growing number of people. I don't know how, I don't know what the aggregate number is, but I think a very high, a very, you know, high compared to the past percentage of Americans just America now, I'm not talking about the rest of the world right now, who are more susceptible to this than ever before, because they're growing up without religion. So many of these people are growing up without two parents. And this is not a knock on single parents. Okay? A lot of times you you can't say something like, oh, it's it's better to grow up with two parents, because then every single parent will be offended. It's silly. It's silly. It's silly. You think we're insulting poor people when we say it's better to grow up with a little bit more money and have, you know, have three meals a day, as opposed to wondering where your next meal is? That's offensive to somebody. It isn't. So it's the same thing to say. So we have a growing number of people who don't have fathers in their lives. We have a growing number of people who didn't, who don't have religion in their lives. And they're glomming on some percentage of them, thankfully a low percentage, but more than the past, are glomming on to something else. And they're getting fervently involved in a new religious type fervor that leads to violence. And that is why we have to be so careful. And that is why one of the big villains this week, thankfully he didn't personally kill anybody, but one of the big villains this week is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not someone who I had a very high esteem for before he announced for president this week. But even with that low, low level of respect that I had for Joe Biden before last week, he still disappointed me. He went below the low bar I already had set for him when he decided to announce his candidacy and then made up the baloney reason why he said he had to run, which is the Charlottesville hoax. This continuing hoax that people are promoting either for political purposes or to start race wars, where they talk about how President Trump said that neo-Nazis and white supremacists were very fine people. He never said that. And for those of you who need to watch the entire news conference, I urge you to do it again. It's very easy to find on C-SPAN. Please watch it from August of 2017. You can look up my social media feeds, where I'm constantly showing the sound bites and the transcripts of what he said. President Trump said that the people, not the white supremacists and not the neo Nazis, which he said should be condemned totally. I'm quoting his exact words. Later on, he says, "But the people who are marching to not destroy the Confederate statues and maybe put them somewhere else, or not to just basically destroy them, some of them were very fine people." That's what he said. Now, if you don't like those statues and you think that it's like a statue of Hitler. All right, you know, go for it. But there's a lot, you got a lot of statues you're going to need to blow up and destroy over the next few years here in this country. So good luck with that. And for those of you who say like, well, no, but they were marching with them. Again, not true, factually incorrect. They were not marching with them. They were marching in Charlottesville. They were marching around the same time, but they weren't marching with anybody else other than themselves. And maybe you don't think that that's a cause worth marching for. That's fine, but that doesn't make them neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Get your facts straight. So not only does Joe Biden have a factual inaccuracy there, but he has one that is going to absolutely trigger some people. It will trigger these left-wing people who have taken on politics as their new religion, and God forbid they might act out on it. I don't know how. I don't want to give them any ideas either on this program. But we have a tinderbox here, folks. Many new people in America who take politics as a religion that they follow fervently, and you need to, we all need to think about what we say and do with this growing population out there. Let's be careful. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now. I'll speak to you again next week.